I'd got to a place that was so bad that if I'm being 100% honest, I just didn't really want to wake up the next day. I was in so much physical pain and kind of lacked any real hope. I don't believe my symptoms are ever going to come back. Uh, If I continue living the lifestyle that I've lived, I don't have any reason to believe that my symptoms will ever return after six years of being symptom-free, pharmaceutical drug-free. Welcome to You Cured What? The podcast of reversing the irreversible. This is where you hear how real people are healing from conditions that most people think they're stuck with for life. I'm your host, Joe Kalb. If I had to give you some medical advice, I'd go to medical school and get a medical degree. Seriously, nothing in this podcast is medical advice, nor is it intended to substitute as such. Now, Enjoy the You Cured What? conversation. In his mid-twenties, my guest today was suffering horribly from rheumatoid arthritis, obesity, and poor mental health. Through a journey that involves mind, body, and spirit, he transformed himself and came out healthy, full of vigor, and eager to help others discover how much more they can do in their lives. From the city of Belfast in Northern Ireland, welcome to the You Cured What podcast, Scott Riley. How are you doing today, Scott? Yeah, I'm doing great. Thanks, Joe. Been looking forward to this conversation. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me on and giving me this chance to share with all your listeners. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Your story is a real attention grabber. As soon as I came across it, I had to reach out and Uh, I'm really grateful that you agreed to uh, come on the podcast. Um, I mentioned in the intro um, a couple of the things that you were dealing with um, not too many years ago. Um, You know, I called out the the rheumatoid arthritis, um, obesity, and poor mental health. Um, Would you be able to go into your background and uh, sort of um, how you, you know, how you were feeling at that point in your life, maybe how, how you got to, uh, that point where you were suffering from those afflictions. Yeah, no problem. I would say that the rock bottom point of being my most overweight and the worst case of the condition that I was suffering from rheumatoid arthritis was around the summer of 2014, but I was suffering with rheumatoid arthritis for about four years altogether. So it uh, was a, a complicated journey that kind of went up and down. And uh, when I started getting symptoms of rheumatoid arthritis, it took them a couple of years to kind of understand that and find some kind of pharmaceutical solution that worked. And a couple of years into the process of suffering with that condition, uh, they actually found a, a mix of drugs that work quite well, methotrexate and a drug called Humira, although that's the brand name and I think it has a longer generic name. And between those two medications, uh, which are immunosuppressant drugs, <clears throat> they managed to bring down the level of overactivity of my immune system, which I probably should explain at this point 
is what causes the issue with rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, rheumatoid arthritis is your immune system uh, attacking your joints. It's a fam in a family of conditions called autoimmune disorders. And rheumatoid arthritis is when your immune system becomes overactive and attacks your joints. But also autoimmune disorders are like Crohn's disease where your immune system attacks your digestive system or psoriasis where your immune system attacks your skin. Uh, you get inflammation in those areas. And the standard Western pharmaceutical solution is to suppress your immune system, which is overactive, and ideally bring it down to a normal level. So that's what they did with uh, the methotrexate and Humira, which uh, was still quite scary because I was still having to go for blood tests every two weeks to make sure that those drugs weren't compromising my immune system too much and leaving me vulnerable to, say, getting pneumonia just by catching a cold or a flu and checking the state of my body because those drugs are, are so hard on your system. So uh, those drugs worked for, I would say, about six months, and then they stopped working, which, to be totally honest, was probably even harder than getting diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis in the first place. I think because whenever I first got diagnosed, I had some faith that, okay, we'll find some solution or some sort of drug that will help me live a normal life. But then whenever they found one drug that did work and stopped working, I probably lost all hope at that stage feeling like even if they found another drug that that might just work for another six months and then I would be back to square one again and ultimately led me to that feeling of hopelessness from that ultimately led me to the point in June 2014 where uh, you know I was 100 pounds overweight and could barely walk up and down a flight of stairs opening a door handle or brushing my teeth would have been sore with the joints in my fingers and my wrist. Wow. So that was the, yeah, that was the rock bottom point. And um, as you mentioned, my mental health was obviously in a, a bad state from that as well. Wow. Okay. And so, you know, this was affecting just your, your everyday activities. Um, if you're saying it was, painful to go up and down the stairs to brush your teeth to open doors um this is a very impactful condition yeah it affected literally everything i would do in my life the only time that i wasn't in pain was like sitting on the sofa probably on my laptop doing some remote work and it caused me to become really isolated as well i because i was in physical pain I didn't want to leave the house but also whenever I'm sure yourself and the listeners might be able to empathize whenever you feel in physical pain and uh, depressed as well you don't really want to be around other people you know having people ask you well how's it going and the truth of the matter is absolutely terrible <laughs> and you don't want to lie to them right. so uh, I became very withdrawn as well okay so you were um, you're not in a, a good place um, physically, mentally, emotionally. You know, this was a, a really rough time for you. Um, so what happened at that point? You said this was in about June of 2014, so approximately six years ago now. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, some of your 
some of your hope or your um, optimism had been stripped away because um, one drug that had been helpful had kind of stopped being helpful to you. Um, so what happened at this point? What was the next step? Well, still that feeling of hopelessness around finding a pharmaceutical solution stayed with me. And, you know, that's not to say that that's going to be the case for everyone. For some people, they do find a pharmaceutical solution that works for them. But on some level, intuitively, I just knew that that wasn't going to be the path for me. And I got to a place that was so bad that if I'm being 100% honest, I just didn't really want to wake up the next day. I was in so much physical pain and kind of lacked any real hope. And it seemed like it was almost impossible, almost impossible to imagine things getting better. That I, I, yeah, I can't really put it into better words than not wanting to wake up the next day and what would probably be classed as suicidal depression. Even though if I look back on it, I don't honestly feel like I ever would have taken that action to to end my own life. But who knows? I certainly didn't want to be here. And I also figured that if I did get to the point where I was at the end of my life, I didn't want to be able to look back and say, well, I could have tried this or I could have tried that. If I got to the point where I was at the end of my life, whether that was prematurely or, you know, another 40 or 50 years down the line of suffering, I wanted to be able to look back on my life and say, you know what, at least I tried my best and I tried everything to, to improve my circumstances. And that led me to look online for people who were in a similar situation to situation I was in then and had managed to get better and I figured if there's somebody else that's managed to do it the least that I could do is try the same things that they did and like I said if I got to the point at the end of my life where I wasn't any better at least if I tried those things I'd be able to rest easy knowing that I gave it my best shot okay okay that makes a lot of sense I you were looking to um, see if you can recreate some of the success that um, someone else may have found online. Um, so, what did you what did you come across online, and uh, what did you try? There was a couple of things that stood out to me first. Whenever I was looking into other people who'd managed to get themselves better, and. It was actually my brother that recommended a documentary to me called Fat, Sick and Nearly Dead, which I do joke in workshops when I'm telling this story. It sounds like a really grim documentary, but uh, <laughs> it's actually really uplifting. And uh, it was about an Australian guy called Joe Cross. And he was in exactly the same situation as me and the situation of the title of the documentary. He was very overweight. He was suffering from an autoimmune disorder. And, uh, yeah, he inspirationally to me, at least managed to, and 
I'm going to ruin the end of the documentary for everyone here, I realize, but managed <laughs> to get better. <laughs> I suppose it wouldn't be much of a documentary if he didn't really. But um, <laughs> he, uh, he went on a 60-day juice fast, this Australian guy, Joe Cross, and yeah, basically got off all of his pharmaceutical drugs. He lost a ton of weight over those 60 days, two months and um, wasn't suffering with his psoriasis condition anymore. And that was a massive inspiration to me. It was like basically a guy in almost exactly the same circumstances, basically didn't eat for 60 days, going on a plant, fruit and vegetable juice fast, and uh, managed to basically get himself better. And this was probably the first thing that I figured that I could at least uh, give a try to as well. That is fascinating. Um, you know, so for for 60 days, we're talking uh, no solid foods? Is that, is that right? Yeah, absolutely. No solid foods. And I wanted to follow a 60-day juice fast in a planned and structured way. And whenever I checked out uh, information about Joe Cross, I couldn't find exactly what he did. but you know, fortunately, or you could even say it's like a synchronicity, the the very same time there was another documentary just being released called Super Juice Me. And it was by a guy called Jason Vale, who has a company called Juice Master, I think, in the UK. And he was uh, in the Super Juice Me documentary, also sharing a 28-day plan that came with the documentary. So I figured I'll take the best of both documentaries. I'll take that 28 day plan and put it back to back plus a few days to take it up to 60 and do the 60 days that Joe Cross did in the first documentary and uh, follow the plan extended out from the second documentary, Super Juice Me. And yeah, that, that was my, my battle plan. The Super Juice Me documentary was good as well. It, basically went through a bunch of people's stories who did the 28-day fast and managed to improve their health circumstances as well. But um, the main inspiration probably was from Joe Cross. And if I'm being honest, this actually leads quite nicely into the next thing that I looked into as well, because at the same time as starting the juice fast, one of my main reasons and things that helped me stick to it was booking a trip to go to the Peruvian Amazon six months ahead. So in June 2014, I started that juice fast, but also booked a trip to the Peruvian Amazon for January 2015 to be treated by the tribes there, essentially, because I'd heard about stories of people who managed to overcome chronic illnesses uh, with those treatments too. And then I had this six months between booking it and going there. I figured I'd do the juice fast in that time. Okay. So um, how did you come across, um, you know, you booked this six months in advance, this um, trip to Peru. How did you come across that information? And um, yeah, kind of what got you started looking down that path? Already, I had been previously aware of, these plant medicine treatments in the Peruvian Amazon and there's a bunch of different ones. Uh, I was personally treated with a medicine called ayahuasca, another one called Huachuma, which is sometimes known as San Pedro and one called Bobinsana. 
And I'd heard about this, I think, initially on the Joe Rogan podcast. And I believe it was Aubrey Marcus was talking about his experience being treated by the plant medicines uh, in the Peruvian Amazon. And yeah, uh, it stuck with me. And whenever I was looking into stories of people who'd managed to heal themselves, some somewhere from the back of my mind figured like I'll just look into this and see if there was anything to do with um, autoimmune disorders. And right enough, I found a bunch of stories and people who managed to get better from conditions like that and even more serious conditions. It's definitely not a, a magic bullet cure-all treatment, but there's a lot of people that manage to recover from a very wide range of different disorders. And yeah, I, I decided to find out where it was that Aubrey Marcus went to because I figured if I'm going to go into the middle of the Amazon jungle, it's probably better to go somewhere that uh, I know, even if I, I obviously don't know Aubrey Marcus, but uh, at least he's somebody who went somewhere and know had a very good, safe experience, a healing experience. And I figured I'd just follow in his footsteps, really. Okay, very interesting. So you kind of uh, learned about this through a podcast, and I know Aubrey Marcus is a, a frequent guest on Joe Rogan's podcast. And I definitely, I'm really curious to hear more about this experience in Peru. Um, but before we get there, you know, you, you know, you did this juice fast, and you mentioned, um, you know, that it was juiced fruits and vegetables um was there like a specific combination of fruits and vegetables um and like how much um how many of these like glasses of juice were you um were you drinking per day i'm i'm curious what uh, what happened within those 60 days on the juice fast and what your experience was like um how you adapted to it if it was um you know, was it challenging? Uh, what was your experience like with that juice fast? Initially, extremely difficult, as I'm sure you would imagine, <laughs> going from yeah. uh, not just like a regular diet, but all, bearing in mind how overweight I was, my diet was terrible. I was eating like fast food basically every day and junk food and, you know, lots of refined sugar to go from that to basically fruit and vegetable juices for like cold turkey was uh the first couple of weeks probably felt like i was in withdrawal from salts sugars saturated fats and um, initially my condition i would say kind of got worse but if i'm being honest like i was in my joints were so swollen and i was in so much pain even if the condition got worse it was marginal and the quality of my life was so affected anyway that you know being a little bit more in pain when you're already at like nine out of ten pain scale was like you know i was willing to go through that in the faith that um sticking to it would would be helpful so the first couple of weeks were extremely difficult and kind of like i started mentioning the peru stuff that was what really kept me sticking to the juice fast i knew that you know, in six months time, I've got to fly halfway across the world into the jungle and go through this big experience there. I also knew that 
the experience in Peru, they say that you get a lot more out of that, the more clean that you go there already. So that was okay. a big motivation to stick to the juice fast and let my body work through, have a chance to clear through a backlog of toxins in the body. Like some of the science around juice fasting is really sketchy, but obviously the results were great for me. And my best understanding of it is that in a simplified form, you're allowing, you're, you're stopping the process of continually topping up your body with stressful food. So you're, you stop adding processed food and refined sugar and all the things that is a, that's a stress to the body. So you're giving your body a break in that sense. And then during that time, you're also topping it up with way more micronutrients than you would ever be able to take on board just by eating fruit and vegetables because you can cram so much more in just by juicing. And in that time when you're not continually adding processed toxic stuff into the body and you're flooding it with micronutrients, your body's natural detoxification process that it just goes through anyway can start to work through some of the backlog of, of rubbish that's in the system. And uh, I wanted to give my body a chance to, to clean out through that juice fast. And yeah, after the, I did, did that for two weeks and I really struggled with it, stuck to the juice fast purely from the point of view that, you know, I knew I had this coming ahead. And also as well, I didn't want to get to the end of 60 days and feel like I would look back and think, oh, I wonder what would have happened if I'd stuck to that juice fast or say I was in like day 10 or whatever, the feeling of like I'm 10 days in, you know, I, I can't get to this point that would have been 60 days and look back and wonder what if you would have stuck to it. So that was another big help in, in seeing through. And then probably somewhere around the, the four-week point, you know, I started to see some really tangible results and I should probably also explain that one of the other things that I was doing during the juice fast was whatever physical movement I could each day, which like I kind of touched on at the start was literally, you know, going up and down a flight of stairs and walking for 10 minutes down the, the street coming back and, you know, wouldn't have even have been a 20 minute walk really. And then, you know, by the the month point, four weeks into it, you know, I could have been out walking around the block for an hour and coming back and still, you know, doing the juice fast and starting to really see that I was able to do a lot more physically, still in some pain, but um, being able to do more and seeing some progress. So that really helped me push right on through towards the end as well. Well, that, yeah, that is fascinating. And, um, you know, I what I like about, this is that it it shows the importance of a lot of different aspects of things it, it's got the physical aspect you talked about some of the kind of detoxification almost that your body was going through um throughout this but you also have that mental aspect where um you were telling yourself hey and um you know, in 60 days, I don't want to look back and wonder what if, and you were looking six months ahead and saying, I want to be prepared for uh, going to Peru. So you are really tying together uh, both the physical and the mental. Um, You mentioned around the the four week mark that you were starting to 
noticed some tangible results. Uh, what were some of those results, um, you know, four weeks into the juice fast and then, I guess, um, beyond? Really just a greater, like an increased capability to do more physical activity was the way I noticed it most first. So, you know, I'd noticed that I was able to walk a lot further than I, I was at the start of the juice fast or prior to that. And then the small things as well, one of the areas that I suffered most was my, my wrists and my uh, fingers would have been really swollen and a lot of pain. And I was noticing like even just quite gradually at the start, like it would be a little bit less sore whenever I went to open a door or uh, like lift something heavy. It was like a little bit less painful. And that process just continued on from there. It just became less and less and less painful. And before I knew it, you know, the, a big step for me was like first getting back on a bicycle again that um, I guess I thought that I would never be able to do. And initially, you know, it was like a cycle around the block as well. And I was exhausted because I had no cardiovascular fitness at all after years of basically inactivity. Um, but it was all little steps like that, that I could see that I was making some progress and encouraging me to to keep going. I was seeing results and um, that was spurring me on to keep doing the things that that was helping me to make progress. Okay, that's... Um, that's terrific. And it seems like you were having, you're having these gradual improvements and starting to regain a little bit of, uh, capability that, um, that maybe you had, uh, previously before, um, before rheumatoid arthritis was, uh, diagnosed. Um, so, um, what, what about, I'm curious about your, um, your weight, um, when you started, I know you said you weighed maybe about a hundred pounds more, um, kind of at the start of this juice fast than what you weigh now. Um, what was happening to your weight over the course of, um, of this juice fast? Oh yeah, that was like crazy. That was something very noticeable as well. And a really good uh, thing to touch on. Like uh, I lost a lot of weight very quickly. Um, whenever you do have a lot of excess weight, that'll like the initial weight that drops from the total happens very quickly. And then I think the thing that puts off a lot of people is eventually they kind of like plateau and weight loss occurs more slowly. But initially, like I lost a, a lot of weight because I had so much weight to lose. I was still very overweight, but it was noticeable that you know the uh, the clothes that I had were like becoming more loose. And whilst I still didn't feel like I looked well or healthy or um, at a healthy weight, I could feel that I was making progress. And actually like I'd lost probably 90% of all of that hundred pounds in the six months of starting the juice fast and going out to Peru, which is crazy. Lost the last 10% out there because the food was really simple as well. So really like in, seven months I've pretty much lost all of that weight altogether and the initial part in the juice fast it was it was very rapid wow that's um that is really interesting um y you mentioned all right so the 60 day juice fast um you did that and then were you doing anything else 
um, there still would have been a few months, it sounds like, in between that juice fast and your planned trip to Peru, which I believe he said was going to be January of 2015. Is that right? Yeah, I had another four months between the end of the juice fast and actually going out to Peru in January 2015. And simply, I just tried to eat as cleanly as possible. Basically, my diet consisted of like steamed vegetables, chicken and fish. And, you know, it sounds really plain and basic. And, you know, it probably wasn't, it wasn't a a well-balanced diet, but I knew that it wasn't, I wasn't adding any more processed food. I wasn't having any refined sugar or or even salts. Or um, I was just keeping my body as clean as possible. And really after two months of not eating any solid food, like steamed vegetables and chicken and fish was amazing. Anyway, So significant. <laughs> <You were> <laughs> yeah. It's all about perspective. <laughs> yeah. uh, do you remember what your, uh, your first solid food meal was after that 60 day juice fast? Yeah, it was actually pretty boring. It was an apple. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just remember, um, I remember, I remember reading up on, because that was actually an important thing, like at the end of any fast and something I've studied a little bit more since, but at the end of any fast, what you break your fast with is really important. Like there's some stories of, you know, people doing, uh, say like a three day water fast where they're only drinking water and they're so starving at the end that they break it with like a massive pizza and a burger and then they end up really ill because you know they've just dumped the first thing into their system really harsh and hard to digest right so i took it pretty gradual and apple seemed like a pretty uh, easy way to go (laughs) back into it and start reintroducing some fiber into my diet and uh, the first like really like thing that felt like a massive treat was um like grilled chicken breasts and some steamed vegetables and um, to actually eat something like that again was the first like really significant moment of like oh some normality again. <laughs> oh, that's that's really cool. Um, and so you know you tried to continue eating eating that uh, clean diet, and you were cutting out processed foods leading up to Peru. Um, so could you go into this trip to Peru and um, I guess who were you going to stay with and what was, what was the timeline like? What was the protocol like? Um, I'm, I'm curious in hearing about your Peruvian experience. Yeah, the whole thing was pretty wild and probably the most significant part of my whole journey. You know, if I hadn't have booked the trip to go there, I, who knows, but I'm not sure I would have had the, the motivation and everything required to stick to the the juice fast and the time spent in Peru was probably the most significant transformation or in my life. I was only actually out there for three weeks in total. And uh, like I'd mentioned, it was the place that I'd found that Aubrey Marcus had been to. I had the process of actually going there, you get in touch with the place is called Spirit Quest Sanctuary and it's in a city called, well, it's actually not in a city. It's the closest city is called Iquitos. 
which has no roads to it. You can only get there by boat or fly into the city. <laughs> and then, wow. Yeah, apparently the largest city in the world with no roads to it. Um, fun fact about Iquitos. <laughs> um, That's very, a very fun fact, yeah. Yeah. So um, I, the, the center wasn't in the city. You, t- you got to the city, took a bus to the port along the river and, and traveled down the river towards uh, the center that you would stay in. But even to, to get to that point, you know, I had to contact the center and they went through quite a, a strict process of like questioning and what was your intention for going there. They were careful to check your medical background and make sure that you weren't taking any contraindicated pharmaceutical drugs as well. Um, they also checked into, you know, whether you had any past experience with serious mental health conditions. And that probably leads into a good point to explain that the treatments that they would offer you and the, that they would provide you with the, uh, in the, the jungle and with the tribes, uh, there's a, a psychoactive element to the, to the treatments. And I'm happy to walk through each stage of what that was like as well in in more detail. But because of that, you know, if someone had a history in their family of one that comes to mind is like schizophrenia, you know, like sometimes a traumatic event or sometimes psychoactive substance can be the thing that triggers a latent um, schizophrenia in a person. So uh, they were careful to check out all of that. Um, fortunately, they were happy to take me on, despite, you know, I've mentioned having periods of depression and stuff in the past. They were happy to, to have me there. And, yeah, uh, I, I flew out to to the, the jungle city, Iquitos, via Amsterdam and uh, Lima, and then to Iquitos. So it was quite a long journey, including layovers and it was a massive experience as well bearing in mind like i'd pretty much self-isolated myself for the best part of four years um through illness and even like didn't have a massive amount of social contact in the time where i was getting better and then here i was like going through airports and traveling halfway across the world when i'd never really traveled much anyway even before my illness seemed like a uh, a fairly daunting challenge but um, I knew it was something that I had to do to to get there. Okay, that's um, yeah, I can see that that would be very daunting and uh, could be intimidating. But it also sounds like you were pretty determined uh, to get your get your life back, and um, you know you had planned this out many months in advance. Um, so once you is it Akitos? Am I pronouncing that correctly? As correctly as I can, at least, anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, so, you know, you took a, a long journey to get to Akitos. And, um, you know, what happened once you, uh, once you got there? And uh, where were you staying? What, um, you know, what happened at this point? Uh, I just remembered actually, as you were saying there, I even forgot like part of the journey before I even got to Iquitos, the, uh, in Lima, my 
intention was there was like a 12 hour layover, I think, between arriving in Lima, the capital of Peru, and getting to the jungle city. And uh, I figured, okay, 12 hours, I can just like sleep in part of the airport if needs be. You know, most big Western European airports are big enough where like people will catch a bit of sleep and they'll be able to get through it and they'll be able to sleep on the flights and it'll be fine. But Lima Airport was not what I was expecting. <laughs> there was nowhere to sit or lie down and didn't feel entirely like a safe place to be falling asleep with, you know, without anyone with me to watch my bags or anything. And uh, uh, I think, I guess, like a, a taxi driver who spoke some English clearly saw that I w didn't really know what to do. And um, it's like, my friend, come with me. And I just felt like, oh, no, here we go. <laughs> what am I getting myself into here? But I was exhausted. I didn't sleep a wink on the plane uh, from Amsterdam to Lima, which was the plan to sleep most of that. I'd been up pretty much the whole night before driving from Belfast to Dublin, flying from Dublin to to Amsterdam, feeling like, okay, if I stay up the night before, I'll fall asleep on the plane, which I didn't at all. It's probably been awake like 36 hours or something at this point. This uh, taxi driver had um, said, you know, he'll be able to help me out and find somewhere to, to sleep for a few hours. And uh, in my naivety um, and, and trust, I just felt like, okay, you know what? This can't be worse than being ready to collapse in the middle of Lima Airport. <laughs> And to be fair, he, he took me to like a, uh, you know, a good like motel, probably drove me halfway around Lima three times and charged me far more than he needed to, but <laughs> it was worth it. <laughs> um, was a scary moment in the car when uh, he suggested, so what do you think of Peruvian women, my friend? You know, do you need some company for, uh, <laughs> for the next few hours? <laughs> to which um, I'll make quite clear that I... Uh, did my uh, best to gr graciously decline. <laughs> uh, fell asleep in the the little motel hotel thing that he took me to. And to be fair, he like came back, you know, whatever it was, like seven hours later or something, picked me up. And um, this shady kind of Peruvian pimp taxi driver was actually my uh, guardian angel in some way. <laughs> he delivered me to get some sleep, brought me back to the airport in time to fly out to Iquitos. And bizarrely, actually, as well, I, I met someone in, in the airport. I suppose, like, I mean, it's not that massive of a stretch that, um, you know, we're flying out to that city. And somebody uh, said to me, like, you don't happen to be going to Spirit Quest, do you? And, like, you know, I met somebody who was going to the same place that I was before even getting on the flight. Um, so, yeah, got on that flight, flew out to the, to the city, and we had someone meet us in Iquitos Airport, basically got on a bus and drove to the port there. From the port there on a boat to the retreat center, so, I mean, it's like one of the most magical places in the world, really. It's set right in the middle of the Amazon jungle. It's like complete, just totally wooden structures. And um, I don't know how you would describe the roofs of the buildings, but it's just like made out of, I guess, like layers and layers of leaves. And it's all completely naturally made. Wow. And uh, yeah, it's a, a stunning place. I remember clearly 
as I'm saying it, the boat coming around the corner of the bend in the river and seeing this place, like this, the wooden structures in the jungle and uh, pulling up there. And I can't tell you the relief, like whenever I actually got to the center and like had my, like was able to take my bag off the boat and drop it there. It's like, oh my God, I made it through like four airports and this crazy Peruvian taxi driver and everything else to be able and the no sleep and everything else. I finally arrived and, and that was only the, the start of the adventure, it seemed like. <laughs> wow. Wow. Okay. So so you finally made it to this place and it's got a very, I guess, very natural vibe to it. Um, and who is, um, who is leading this, uh, spirit quest group and, um, you know, what, what happened from there once you're, you're now in, um, you're in the location in the Amazonian jungle. So Spirit Quest, I believe, was established and set up by a North American gentleman who uh, very sadly passed away, I believe, at the end of last year. I can't remember almost if it was earlier this year or the end of last year, the way time has been recently. It seems very strange, <laughs> but in the not-too-distant past, recently passed away, unfortunately. Um, and, uh, yeah, he set up the... The place in Peru, he had lived in Peru for 20 years, uh, had a, a Peruvian partner and has obviously half Peruvian children. And uh, he set the place up and facilitated the treatments with one of the medicines, Huachuma. But he also had um, Peruvian indigenous shamans who administered the ayahuasca treatment. And that was uh, Don Robert and uh, Doña Eliana, his wife. They, uh, yeah, I mean, they'd been part of a, a lineage for God knows how many generations of, of shamans and people who'd, I said the word shaman and some people are probably instantly taken a little bit aback by that, but, you know, native healers of those, um, the tribes that live there. And uh, yeah, they, I'm pretty sure, lived uh, all on site at the, the center. And um, also, in addition to uh, Don Howard, the, the North American facilitator, and the family of uh, shamans, there was also you know helpers there as well. There was um, indigenous Peruvian people who were there to you know, like cook the meals and, and look after the place and take care of the, the lands and, uh, yeah, just basically uh, keep the place running. And okay. uh, on top of that, there was a another, I'd say, 20 maybe Western people from around the world who, like me, had come there with different health conditions seeking to, to be healed. Okay. So this is a combination of... Um, yeah, sort of people from uh, maybe, I guess, more traditional Western society and also um, indigenous Peruvian people who had generations and generations of experience in healing, basically. Is that, yeah. is that accurate? Absolutely. And even um, uh, Don Howard, the, the North American shaman, um, believed part of his lineage was Native American as well and had worked with some of the native North American plant medicines. 
so not only was there the the lineage of shamans from south america and peru and indigenous to the jungle but even the uh, don howard who'd come from north america you know part of his background was from a an indigenous north american um family as well okay um and you mentioned earlier that um some of these plant medicines that you were going to peru for um have psychoactive components um you know some of our listeners may have heard of uh the author michael pollan i know um michael pollan recently within the last two or three years wrote um, an interesting book called how to change your mind um and it details a lot of um a lot of possibilities for um you know, psychoactive or psychedelic, um, you know, plants or drugs to have very positive um, health benefits in in certain situations. Um, you know, it sounds like there were, I think, three um, three different medicines that you referenced earlier, but you also you called out um, that there are different components to uh, psychoactive drugs can you are psychoactive um yeah you, you mentioned that there are different components to uh i guess the psychoactive um pieces of these plants can you go into those and what um kind of what you were getting into with these plant medicines yeah absolutely um i think also that's a great reference michael Pollan's book how to change your mind um i think it gives a really good western explanation behind how some of these medicines can be so effective and if you think about the mind and the brain and the state of my body had gone prior to this basically haywire and was attacking itself and one of the things that these psychoactive compounds can do in the right setting uh, with the right mindset can basically like reset your brain um, oversimplifying this but uh, encourages uh, neuroplasticity and um, yeah can allow your your mind to change essentially like kind of like the title of Michael Pollan's book yeah so, and I, I've heard I've heard the term used before it's um, it's almost like sometimes these experiences can uh, shake up the snow globe um, yeah of your mind i've found that one um i don't know i find that an interesting comparison yeah actually the um it, it leads me to to mention something that michael Pollan has in that book as a way of explaining this neuroplasticity um he says imagine your mind like uh a, like a downhill field of snow and you go down that hill in a sled and then as you go down the hill in a sled it leaves tracks behind so whenever you go back up to the top of the hill and go down the hill again you know you you deepen those tracks again and again and then before you know it you've deepened the tracks in the hill going down the sled in the snow so many times that even if you don't really want to go down the same tracks again you kind of get like sucked into the same tracks and uh, those are just like the pathways that your brain builds over time. It's kind of an analogy for that. 
but what he described some of these treatments as was like a fresh layer of snow coming on top and making the tracks less deep. So you're less likely to get sucked into the same programming, basically, that you've, uh, you've created over or, you know, that have been created uh, over years of experience. And, uh, yeah, it can maybe lead someone to take a new path and make new tracks and uh, change their mind. So, yeah, it's another interesting thing is um the some of the more recent studies again they'll all be covered in that book but uh johns hopkins university in uh, the u.s a really well-renowned medical research university has done quite a few studies on not even specifically the same plant medicines that i was treated with but with psilocybin and and others that um they've just shown massively effective for treating treatment resistant depression and other things like post-traumatic stress disorder and overcoming addiction like that the addiction one is something amazing um you know for helping people overcome uh problems that way as well and even um i know another one that he even called out a lot um is fear of death um even helping people to cope with um you know with end of life situations Yes, yeah, and having lived through experiences like that, like I totally understand that completely, and it's very, very hard to put into any kind of words <laughs> to, to explain why, but the best way I could kind of explain that is I don't know if anyone could have put into words for me before I'd experienced it in a way that I would have understood it so I don't know if I'll be able to put into words exactly in any kind of way that would a hundred percent make anyone else be able to understand it. Um, but it was a, a an incredible experience, a really you know challenging experience, and I'm happy to talk through any of those that um, that you might be interested in and the the actual like logistical process of how they administered the medicine and, and anything else um, as well. Yeah, I'm I'm interested in all of it. I'd I'd love to hear this process. So the the first day at the center was basically just sent, spent settling into the place and um a lot was talked about setting intentions for what you would like to gain from the process and the treatment and the medicine and for basically almost everyone who was there, the intention they were setting was some form of healing. For me, because I was arriving in Peru, basically like no longer suffering any symptoms from the arthritis anymore because of the juice fast and everything I'd done since, I guess my intention was to make sure that that, to whatever good that I'd done in my body, it would remain that way and that the the condition wouldn't come back again. And uh, I've learned a really interesting thing, actually, that the indigenous belief of the tribes there is whenever you set the intention to actually take the medicine, it begins working, which sounds kind of like new agey. But, you know, even from a reductionist scientific point of view, whenever I set the intention to go to Peru and actually book the flights, you know, it gave me the motivation to do a juice fast and stick to it. And in some sense, 
I did start getting better from when I really did set the intention to go there. It might have required my work in other ways, but I set the intention to go to Peru and got better before I even got there, <laughs> strangely. Yeah, that is, that is fascinating. The power that thoughts and intentions can have that it's, is itself an empowering thought. Absolutely. And has been like setting an intention and has just been crucial to everything in my life since. And will, I think it's definitely worth touching on some of the intentions that I'd set while I was in Peru at some stage, but without jumping ahead that far, um, you know, that was basically day one, you know, a process of setting intentions and getting settled into the place. The second evening we had our first uh, ayahuasca medicine treatment. They, they would say ceremony. Um, it's as, as much a spiritual healing as a physical healing for um, within the, the beliefs there. And, you know, I was there to fully respect that as well. And sure. It was a process that started in the evening. So in uh, mid-evening, I can't actually remember exactly. It might have been like 7 p.m., 8 p.m. or something. We were called into uh, a large circular wooden hut called a maloka. And it was like screened in. So there was, it wasn't like shut off to the jungle. It was like there was wooden like half wall basically maybe up to i don't know chest height and from there upwards was like a, a mesh screen to keep i guess like mosquitoes and bugs out so you sort of felt like you were still outside and you had all the noise of the jungle around you and um we were all of the people who were there to be treated were sat around the edge of this circular building with the shamans at the front and we would go up one by one in order right the way around the circle to the shaman and he would essentially look you in the eyes and decide how much of the medicine you needed he would pour it into a cup and you would take a moment to remember your intention drink the medicine go back down to your mat and essentially meditate you know try and clear your mind see what starts to come up and that's when after possibly maybe 30 40 minutes or an hour the psychoactive effect of the medicine starts taking place and uh, for me i i want to make clear as well before i went there i'd never taken any psychoactive substance you know this was completely new thing to me i'd never you know uh, taken um, anything like that like recreationally or anything before um, flying out to Peru so this was very much new waters for me <laughs> and yeah, uh, yeah. yeah it was very different to, to what I expected I think <laughs> <laughs> so yeah what what was I know you already mentioned how difficult it can be to put into words is there is there anything you are able to put into words about what that experience was like once the psychoactive component kicked in. Yeah, absolutely. The I didn't really know what to expect, so I just kept a clear mind and I kept my intention on, like I'd mentioned, like really 
embodying this healing that I went through and really like solidifying that in my body and seeing if I could, you know, make sure whatever had happened with me that caused my symptoms to go away would stay in place. And I kind of assumed that I would have like some sort of physical sensation of like healing in the areas that I maybe had pain in the past or I didn't really know, to be honest. And before long, all of these thoughts started coming to me, which still is absolutely bizarre to share this. And it might seem like it makes no sense to anyone listening, but all I can do is share what I experienced. I went through all of these different thoughts and memories and experiences that I'd had with different females in my life. And like, this was really surprising for me because I went there with this intention of like, okay, I just want to like be okay in my body and that's all good. And then all these thoughts are coming to me of like interactions I'd had with female family members and like female friends and like relationships that I had, you know, with women. And um, it went through all of these and it would kind of like use the, whatever auditory senses of was having was relevant to what I was feeling and, and remembering. And I remember that feeling really unusual. Like if there wasn't people making a lot of noise, but you know, if someone sighed, I don't know, a female who was somewhere beside me had let out a sigh, you know, it might've been relevant to whatever I was visualizing in that experience. And, um, you know, to make a relatively, long experience and story a bit shorter it was just really a healing experience because up until that point in my life i'd had some really bad experiences with um with females family and you know i'd I'd gone to an all-male school whenever i was age 11 or 12 which is a really formative age as well so i didn't really have any female friends throughout my teens and whenever you don't have any female friends to relate to I guess you start thinking of them as other or different somehow it's you know just didn't really learn to to relate very well which obviously led to bad relationships then in my early 20s and then completely isolated from you know the the late part of my early 20s onwards I had a I was able to view these experiences from like a third party kind of uh, like a bird's eye view almost, you know, like I was able to see myself in these interactions and it explained in some ways I had some knowing of how those experiences were causing me to act in a certain way or feel in a certain way. And even though those actions weren't admirable or weren't, but weren't causing me to act in a good way. I was able to look at it from a place of non-judgment. You know, if someone had come up to me and said, you know, uh, you've treated this woman in a really bad way and it's because of this thing in this mode of consciousness, I might've felt really guilty or bad about it. But within that experience, it was like way more gentle. It was like showing me what those experiences were and because, act in a different way in the future and and then also i learned which was really interesting that the indigenous people call 
ayahuasca mother ayahuasca or grandmother ayahuasca so they believe that 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 medicine has like a female spirit to it and that completely blew my mind as well and in hindsight whenever i try and rationalize it you know i feel maybe i had some healing to do in how i related to women before this what they believe is a, a female plant medicine could actually go on and do any deeper healing and that was only night one. <laughs> wow. Wow. So that was, that was night one. Night one, this was ayahuasca on night one? Yes, that was ayahuasca. We had five different nights of ayahuasca, and it was day on, day off. So okay. actually, technically, it would have been night two there. But um, So the first night there, settling in, second night was that first ayahuasca treatment. And okay. then each subsequent night... Uh, would be on off with the ayahuasca treatments before moving on to the the different plant medicine. Okay. And um, with, you know, you mentioned ayahuasca and um, two others. Um, yes. Wachuma and I, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing them correctly. What were the other two? Yeah, that's right. Wachuma and Bobinsana. And Bobinsana uh, was actually just one treatment. So there was five ayahuasca treatments uh, or ceremonies. One uh, Bobinsana ceremony, which was a lot lighter. And I don't even know if you would call it psychoactive at all, to be honest. Uh, okay. it, it was a, a, a drink and as well. And it was much less introspective, you know, like everyone was still kind of, uh, the candles weren't blown out in the same way that they were with the ayahuasca treatment where you were in just the darkness of the jungle. Um, it was a much lighter treatment. And if I'm a hundred percent honest, that's the hardest one to like pinpoint, like, Oh, this had this like direct impact on me or, uh, it wasn't, exactly the most clear but um i really feel like the whole process i have to look at it as like one big thing rather than separating it out as like a an allopathic western treatment where like this drug deals with this thing this drug deals with that thing i feel like the combination of the medicines there um was probably what was so healing for me as a uh, a group together okay okay so it sounds like there was a community aspect here. Um, what were, you know, you said this was what, a two week? You were there for about two weeks in total? It ended up being three weeks altogether, three. including the travel. So it would have been actually 17 nights at the center. And that would have been 10 days of ayahuasca treatments and okay. then seven nights where we did within which we did three Huachuma ceremonies, which was completely different experience altogether again. <laughs> um, oh, really? What, um, what was the Huachuma experience like? So by the end of the five ayahuasca ceremonies in 10 days, like I was completely wiped out and exhausted. And it's like serious processing and it go, can, could go on like quite late into the night. Um, also, um, you know, you're eating very simple foods there and 
even though I got away with this very lightly, Huachuma actually, or ayahuasca actually causes a lot of people to, um, I can't think of a better way to put this, but basically throw up. You know, it's a, um, they call it uh, the purge. The, it's like a, your, your body brings it back up again. Okay. So it's it's a, it's an intense experience, and being honest, not enjoyable. I can say one hundred percent sure, uh, no one's going there for a laugh. Like you hear, like oh, psychoactive substances in the Peruvian Amazon. Let's go for like a party. But I promise you, like no one is going there for fun. It's an intense experience. Okay. Um, and by the end of the ten days of ayahuasca um, treatments. Um, Oh, actually, before I jump on to Huachuma, it's probably worth mentioning another really healing part of those first 10 days was in the morning afterwards or maybe the afternoon of the next day, uh, everyone would gather together in a circle um, in a, I guess, an area outside of the Maloka and talk about their experiences and what came up for them, you know, in the, in the plant medicine experience. And that was like such a... a a deep thing like people sharing like the deepest stuff from their past coming up and just being in full vulnerability and you know like sharing some really heavy stuff with what they went through and you know you just became so close to the other people that you were there by the end of 10 days like you felt like brothers and sisters who'd been through these crazy experiences and shared like the deepest darkest things that they've been through in their lives and what had come up for them in the plant medicine experiences. And uh, by that point, after the 10 days, some of them were leaving because not all of them were staying for the, the Huachuma treatment. And that was just heartbreaking seeing like a number of the, the group leave. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you had yeah, grown close to them and yeah, shared very uh, exhilarating um, kind of life-changing experiences, it sounds like. Yeah, so it was really tough to to see a bunch of them go. And uh, and there was actually one or two who came just for the Huachuma treatments. A small number came at, also added to the group at that stage. But, um, you know, with everything in that whole experience, it felt like it just worked out exactly right. As much as I missed the people who were going, you know, the people who remained were the exact right people. I felt like for the next stage of the different medicine treatments and it couldn't have been any more different from getting to the point of the end of the the ayahuasca treatments where energy was low, was tired, was sad at people leaving. Um, and having spent 10 days of like really looking inside and being really internal, yeah. the Huachuma treatment would felt like the complete opposite. It was extremely external and we wouldn't take the medicine in the evening. You would take it in the late morning and then they would take us out into the, into the jungle to meet the different tribes, which was uh, a wild experience because there's also a, a psychoactive element to that medicine as well. Okay. So, you know, you're, it was absolutely extraordinary, really. I mean, it was, um, we were going down the Amazon in the, or down the river in one of the boats to, to get to the place where one of the nearest tribes were and seeing the, 
the the way the water would ripple out from the boat and move into the the tree line because the the level of the river had risen so high and it feeling like just an extension of yourself almost and it's like anything that i'm going to say now just almost sounds like hippie nonsense really <laughs> but <laughs> once you've lived it um, and that feeling of like connection to to everything really you know the the ripple of the waves going out into the trees and realizing like how fundamentally connected you are to everything connecting to people who can't speak the same language as you but you know i mean one of the one of the greatest memories of my life really was going to meet one of the first tribes that we did and uh, as we were getting off the boat there was you know a bunch of the other people who got off ahead of me but there was this one little girl from the tribe and could only have been maybe four or five years old ran past a bunch of people and just jumped up straight into my arms and like wouldn't like every time I went to sit her down again, she would like just jump up and won't pick up the whole time. <laughs> Whenever it came to uh, us sitting down and, and talking together, she'd come up and sit on my knee and play with my camera. And anytime any of the other kids came over, she would like, I guess be telling them to go away <laughs> like get jealous <laughs> it was just the most like heartwarming experience ever obviously I couldn't communicate with this girl on a language level but um yeah you know like they're just kids they just wanted to play and like be thrown up in the air and you know uh, chase around the, the village and um wow. such an uplifting experience especially on the end of the, the ayahuasca experience where by the end of it, it was tough wow that's um that's really cool the the fully immersive experience that you had um you know so you had the ayahuasca and then you um you know after 10 days and you went into the wachuma um you know what were what were some of your takeaways from this experience as a whole and then um you know, I know I'm curious about your takeaways and I'm curious because I know since then you've um, also uh, dived deep into some other healing modalities. I'm curious, um, you know, how that transition occurred. Yeah, absolutely. The The ayahuasca experience was, was challenging. The Huachuma experience was uplifting. It was all ultimately great um but on the huachuma part of the experience i had come to the point where i'd set two intentions for going home you know without knowing it i guess i'd set an intention before i went to peru to get my health back and that had been achieved and then in peru i'd set the intention to do two things whenever i returned home from the jungle one of them was to be able to help other people who wanted to improve the quality or circumstances of their life. You know, I'd massively improved the quality of mine by um, losing a massive amount of weight and overcoming the rheumatoid arthritis that I was suffering with. And I figured, you know what, it, I almost felt responsible that if there's someone else out there in the world who felt hopeless, like I did just before I started my journey, then the least I could do was try and help somebody like that. And, you know, if I was sincerely on the point of not wanting to wake up the next day and it took me to find the story of someone else who'd managed to get better that to pull me through, then maybe I could be the story 
for the next guy a few years down the line who would pull through in a situation where he didn't want to wake up the next day or woman or, or whoever. So that was one of my intentions to go back and share the story of how I managed to get better and see if I could help other people. And the other intention that I'd set was to initially like just find more people like I'd connected with in Peru, you know, find these like inspiring people who would go the extra mile to uh, heal themselves and improve their circumstances. And not only that, but also had this like feeling of they wanted nothing more than just to help the person next to them as well. Just felt like being with 20 of your best mates, basically who were on a mission to improve their circumstances, but equally wanted you to do the same. And I wanted to define that at home, but those are two very big intentions and initially didn't really know how to go about it. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. That's, that is big. So um, the first steps towards that were um, one of the guys that um, I became friends with in Peru was a a Norwegian guy. Shout out to Stian if he listens to this someday. (laughs) I'll send it to him actually. But he was a a qualified health coach with the Czech Academy. And um, he qualified through the European Academy, which is based in England. But Paul Czech is actually based believe in Carlsbad in Southern California and still to this day probably my biggest influence whenever it comes to health and well-being amazing guy um, Paul Check C-H-E-K for anyone who's listening and wants to look him up and uh, I decided to go and do the same qualification as my friend Stian did and uh and and was helping people in Norway, I figured I'll just go to the Czech Academy, do a qualification, and hopefully be able to help people in the same way uh, back in Northern Ireland, where I'm from. And I I went to do that process. I went over to England and studied at the Czech Academy. I had this qualification saying, you're a health coach. And if I'm 100% honest, didn't really know what to do with it. (laughs) (laughs) So um, really then from there on, probably spent the next year after that, still with the same intentions, not really knowing how to go about it and kind of just settling back into normal life again. Like not actually that long after I came back from Peru, I met uh, a woman that I ended up in a relationship with for three years and and, you know, obviously that was part of my integration coming back home. And throughout that time, that first kind of year coming back from Peru and doing that qualification, I was doing other alternative health practices and looking into stuff like that because <clears throat> it had brought so much to my life up until that point. And it was whenever I found the Wim Hof method, that was something that I discovered that initially, actually, I was just interested in it because I'd read that there were some peer-reviewed uh, scientific studies that showed that you could 100% reduce, reliably reduce inflammation in the body. And as someone who had suffered from chronic inflammation, I figured well, this will be a good thing for me to learn, potentially if my symptoms ever came back again, because <clears throat> bearing in mind at this point, whenever I'm a year back from Peru, that's still only really 18 months from being massively overweight and, and really, really sick. 
So um, <clears throat> I found this, uh, the Wim Hof method was a, a way of managing inflammation. I thought I would study it for myself and, and do his 10 week online course. And that was just incredible. Like I went from this prevention mindset initially to from looking at like keeping my bad symptoms away very quickly, moving to optimization mindset to realizing like, wow, I'm capable of doing so much more than I thought I can, you know, do the like hold my breath for this like crazy amount of time and get into ice baths, no problem, all by just doing this simple breathing practice and I noticed I was dealing with stress better and maybe as important as any of the rest of that, I was starting to connect with people again through the Wim Hof method, similar to the sort of people that I'd met in Peru who were on a mission to improve their health and improve their life circumstances, that they were willing to go to that extra mile to do so. But also, extremely importantly, they were so supportive. Anyone connected with the Wim Hof method, like you really felt the same feeling of they wanted you to do every bit as well as they were doing, uh, just like the, the people that I'd met in Peru. And then realized like, okay, well, this is the exact thing that I can uh, use to fulfill my intentions that I'd set in Peru with hard science backing the, the method. I could 100% reliably be able to help people improve their life circumstances with that. So it kind of ticked that box. And it was also something that I'd be able to draw more people around myself and build a community of like-minded others and tick that box as well. So that started kind of a, another chapter and in, in going on to become a qualified Wim Hof Method instructor. Well, could you give um, just a quick overview of what the Wim Hof Method is? Absolutely. So it involves three pillars. It involves breath work, so an active breathing practice. It involves cold immersion, so training your body um, with the effects of the cold. And then there's a mindset element as well. And combining those three elements, there's a ton of benefits. But for me, the biggest one is through those three pillars, you can basically train your body's ability to down-regulate from stress. Basically training your nervous system to go from a fight-or-flight state into a rest-and-digest state. And then whenever you're doing that with the cold or with the breathing, your body starts to understand that process better. And then whenever a real-life circumstance comes up while you're stressed out because you've done the training in the cold or with the breathing, your nervous system then just knows how to downregulate from stress. So you'll still feel the initial stress response as you should want to, you know, say a car cuts in front of you and you're still going to, you know, call them a four letter word and like still be kind of pissed <laughs> off at it. But um, the more important part is you're not going to be stewing in stress and fuming about it two hours later, the way most people do because they can't downregulate from stress very efficiently because you've done the training of how to come out of a stress state, say in a cold shower or in an ice bath, your body then knows how to, after it kind of gets uh, uh, like triggered, it'll then know how to downregulate from stress and you'll be able to, to chill out again, which is massively important when it comes to both mental and physical health. Wow. That's, yeah, that is um, a really, it, it sounds like a superpower when you put it that way. But I know, um, you know, you mentioned the, the peer-reviewed science earlier. 
um, I know this has been shown in scientific studies that, um, you know, it is a very powerful intervention. Um, I know, um, I know Wim Hof and also other people who practice this method have shown an increased ability to deal with acute stressors, you know, to the level of um, getting an endotoxin injected. It, it seems like um, follower or practicers of the Wim Hof method are able to, um, to handle that injected endotoxin without nearly as, you know, without the, the negative side effects that your, um, your common person would feel. Yeah, that, I mean, that was the study that really gave it all the, the scientific credibility and allowed it to scale up on a massive level and, and go around the world. Uh, and much like you said, actually, whenever they did the study on Wim first, the initial thoughts were like, this is incredible. He has been injected by an endotoxin, but isn't suffering from the inflammatory response from this. And then they kind of just thought that he was a complete genetic one-off freak of nature in the best possible way. But one of the most inspiring things about Wim Hof is that he always maintains what he can do, anyone can do. And uh, he, he put that to the test as well in you know, conjunction with Radboud University in the Netherlands, he took a, a group of people to Poland where I did the final master module of the Wim Hof Method instructor training as well. He basically put them through all the same paces in teaching them the method, went extremely deep with the breath work. He um, it, it does all the typical crazy Wim Hof stuff, jumping in and out of frozen rivers and hiking up the mountain, up and down <laughs> in a pair of shorts in the snow. Uh, all the stuff that seems crazy on the outside until you actually put it to the test and find that you know whenever they took that group into the university and injected them with the endotoxin. Um, and then in another room, they had a control group of people who weren't doing the Wim Hof method and injected them with the endotoxin. Obviously, the control group felt terrible. And, uh, of course, in the Wim Hof Method group, they were all feeling awesome and loving life and not suffering from the inflammatory effects of the, uh, of the endotoxin that was injected into them. And from there, really, it's, it's just exploded. They, he's rewritten biology textbooks and proved that you can influence the autonomic nervous system. And everything that I've learned since whenever it comes to health and well-being seems to be you know related to exactly that the the nervous system and the fact that in the 21st century basically everyone's walking around in a state of chronic stress purely by being born into a world that we haven't really evolved for and the wim hof method's just a method of training your nervous system how to come out of the stress state which is basically always switched on by 21st century living. That, that's really fascinating, and that's a, that's a great overview. Um, yeah, I appreciate you giving that rundown. Um, seems very powerful, and it was powerful enough to, um, as you mentioned, you completed the, the master module in uh, Wim Hof Method uh, training. Um, can you go into... Um, you know what you're what you're doing with that um, now that you have completed that training. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so 
I've based a lot of my own health coaching business around the Wim Hof method. Initially, it was like almost a sole focus. And um, I would be running Wim Hof method workshops and retreats and teaching the methods in uh, the mountains here in Northern Ireland, but also, you know, around different gyms, traveling to uh, different parts of the country and traveled to some other countries to teach the the Wim Hof method. Um, actually, the biggest workshop that I'd ever done was almost exactly a year ago um, in Vermont in the U.S., uh, it was an incredible experience. We had three big uh, kiddie pools filled with ice and um, we had like 70 people uh, all doing the breath work and going in and out of the, the ice baths. It was just an incredible experience. And one thing that's hard really to put into words is the, the feeling that you get, like take someone in and out of the cold. You can explain it in probably a slightly dry way of like teaching the nervous system to downregulate from stress and all the rest of it actually does a lot more than that as well that's just the main benefit but one of the things that's uh hard to put into words is just this feeling of the sense of like you can do anything you get into this freezing cold water and actually be able to get into like a really calm fine state where you can like smile and talk to people and and then you get out and you can feel this like inner fire you know your body generating heat and one of the most amazing things about teaching the Wim Hof method for me over years now is people will can stay in touch with me and say, you know, like, Oh, since I did your workshop, you know, I went on to do this other thing and did this other thing. And it was just a catalyst for doing more cool stuff for themselves because they, I guess like only really thinking of this as I'm speaking about it, but it creates a lot of self-belief in people when you can show them that they can do way more than they think that they're capable of doing and uh, can be just a great uh, tool for helping people to go on and change their life once they can see that they are capable of a lot more. Well, that's, that's fascinating. And I mean, you're a walking testament to the idea that, um, that people can do a lot more than maybe what they typically think because, you know, we rewind a few years and, you know, it's painful for you to uh, brush your teeth. It's, it's painful for you to go upstairs, open doors. Um, but now um, you are, you know, a health coach. You are, you know, putting up photos on Instagram of doing, you know, these just ridiculous uh, yoga poses and, you know, you're, you're jumping in and out of ice baths and, uh, you can, you can handle all of this. And, um, you know, that has positive ripple effects on every aspect of your life. It sounds like, and you're able to, um, you know, function more in, in community and in kind of in oneness with nature, it, it seems like. So, I mean, I think you're a walking, uh, testament to this. Um, I, you know, when, when we look back at, at your story and, you know, you, you went from being, um, you know, from having rheumatoid arthritis and, uh, depression, what, um, you know, you've had so many different healing modalities. Do you, do you see any one in particular as being like the primary, um, the the root cause of your healing 
if I really had to pin it on something, I would say that the most impactful thing was booking the trip to go to South America and the plant medicine experience there and the experience with all of the the people that I shared that time with, mainly because I think I came from such a... I started off in such a bad place that I needed a massive restart and a massive change to to get going in a way that I actually don't really believe that many people need to take on personally. I feel like sometimes if I can live an experience to 100%, you know, it might be somebody else might only need like 70% of that experience to get massive results without having to do such dramatic things. Sometimes I feel like I I learned the hard way so that other people don't have to. So I I wouldn't actually necessarily say like, I'm I'm always very cautious of saying like, oh yeah, everyone should go to Peru and do this plant medicine thing. It was really hard. And I don't actually believe that it's a good match for everyone. But for the people who are really called to it, that was the biggest part of my journey. And now the biggest part of my journey going onwards is actually, you know, the opposite. It's the smallest, simplest things. And this was only actually really as recently as about six months ago. I had this realization that um, not that my health got to a bad state by any means, but I had this understanding that, for me to step things up to the next level and help even more people and improve my own life circumstances even further, the next step for me would be to go even deeper into the most basic, simple practices and live all the things that I've come to know and understand with 100% authenticity every single day, day in, day out. And um, even on the most simple level of like, making sure that I have a really good sleep routine, making sure that I'm practicing the Wim Hof breathing and getting into the cold every single day. I'm staying active every single day. I've got a meditation practice every single day, spending some time in nature every single day and living this stuff to 100%. And uh, if I can do that, then you know I can share somebody who might only need to live it to, to 70% to, to get massive results in their life. So... On the biggest end of the scale, for me personally, the, the journey to Peru, but um, what has helped me maintain it is the, the small practices that I, that I live day in, day out. That's, that's terrific. And I know a big focus of yours now is, um, as you mentioned, kind of one of your intentions coming out of Peru was to help others in similar situations. Um, I understand you've rolled out a a new program recently as part of your health coaching. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's kind of the the culmination of those last six months where I decided to just purely from my own personal point of view, start looking after the, the more simple, small areas of life that contribute to uh, really huge positive momentum whenever you stick to them consistently over time. And I was just finding massive results. You know, I, I got down to like, I became leaner and stronger than I had been in a while. And 
um, you know, I had more clarity and focus in what I wanted to do with Causeway Living, my health coaching company. And part of that was just really being excited to share those things in a really clear and concise way with the people who were coming to me, um, how to integrate the habits that I've used over the last six months to feel at my best in years so that, uh, that they could do the same. And uh, <clears throat> a big part of that and maintaining consistency for me was with journaling. So I started uh, just writing my own journal down and making a, a small note of those positive habits and uh, very quickly found that I was journaling the same stuff each day, which within a couple of months led me to format out uh, a specific Causeway Living journal, which helped people just write things down in the same format that I was doing for myself. And uh, as of very recently, I managed to, to take that journal and break it down into a six-week program that people could integrate into their lives lives over that period of time but probably the more important thing is taking what they learn over that six weeks and just maintaining it going on and a part of the program is not only the the habits themselves and integrating it into a slow process of of really living this stuff day in day out but also accountability and tools and tricks and hacks that people can use to stick with it and, and get massive results. Well, that's, that's amazing. And it's inspiring that you are truly living out your intentions as you, um, as you define them on that trip to Peru. And, you know, that's going to benefit so many people. Um, I do want to ask um, this just because everyone looks at this question um, a little bit differently, but um, when it comes to rheumatoid arthritis and uh, depression, um, do you consider yourself cured of those conditions? Mm, I would say I'm very careful with this answer. If you ask me personally, yes. However, I know that a Western medical doctor would describe myself as in uh, remission, as in currently not suffering any symptoms. I don't believe my symptoms are ever going to come back. Uh, if I continue living the lifestyle that I've lived, I don't have any reason to believe that my symptoms will ever return after six years of being symptom-free, pharmaceutical drug-free. Um, so I believe... Um, if you're asking me on a personal level, am I cured? Yes. I would always be very cautious about how I answer that question, though, because uh, purely from a like a legal point of view, almost, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not ethical to, for example, I can't say to someone who's suffering from rheumatoid arthritis, do a 60-day juice fast and then go to Peru for an ayahuasca treatment and you'll definitely be cured. <laughs> That's yeah. A, yeah. my concern. So I feel like I'm, I'm cured, yes, to, to give yeah. you the, the shorter answer. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I appreciate that context and that makes sense. Everyone uh, looks at that question a little differently and um, I just like to um, get people's perspectives on that. Um, and I do have... Another question that I like to ask everybody who comes on the podcast, um, 
Now that you've improved your health, what's one thing you enjoy doing that you couldn't do before? The biggest thing for me, it's the simplest, the most simple things, being able to move pain-free. So like go for a, a walk without it feeling like this massive arduous thing or it is, it's just all of this, the most simple things, being able to go down, you know, I live quite near the sea, go down for a walk by the coast at sunset and enjoy that pain-free, um, all of the, the simple, small things that I guess this whole experience has made me grateful for, the things that I think that probably a lot of people take for granted being able to go for a walk and not feel sore or and you know interestingly actually in the the time we're at and the time of the recording of this podcast i feel like the the global trauma that's going on right now with the uh the pandemic situation and also this the trauma caused by the lockdown and isolation i feel like on the other side of this like a lot of people are going to get the same benefit that i've had you know they're going to appreciate the small things again going for a walk and spending time with their friends and being able to socialize and um yeah in some weird way the worst thing that ever happened to me you could look at it from the outside is getting a chronic illness ultimately ended up being the best thing that ever happened to me because you know it led to a series of events that led to this call ultimately <laughs> but um hopefully the the global situation as well a lot of people are probably considering this the the worst thing that could ever happen to them but i'm very hopeful in a few years time that they'll also be able to look back and think you know what actually i learned a lot from that and maybe it was the best thing that ever happened to them as well oh well that is that's a really terrific thought and it's yeah and i love the idea that maybe there can be some worldwide healing that comes from uh, the present difficult situation. Um, that's a, a really hopeful and really good thought. Um, I, you know, I know you've mentioned so many things, and I think a lot of our listeners, um, you know, they might want to hear more from you. Where where can people find you if they want to get in touch uh, with you, or they want to uh, learn more about you or your health coaching? Um, how can people get in touch with you? The best place is on causewayliving.com and all of the social media handles are, are at causewayliving. So Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, everything's just causewayliving. And uh, yeah, look forward to getting in touch with some new people on the other side of the podcast and yeah, continuing to share with them after getting the chance to, to share this recording with them. and just want to say a massive thanks as well to, to you, Joe, for having me on the podcast and sharing some really cool stuff to people who are in need of, of help and kind of wish that there'd been more podcasts like this back in the day whenever I wasn't well. I'm sure it would have helped me a lot. So I really appreciate what you're doing too. Well, yeah, um, I the feeling is mutual. I really appreciate you coming on here and uh, sharing such an inspiring story. I love your message that... Um, basically we as humans can do so much more than we realize that we're capable of. Um, I, I think it's 
very empowering and inspiring, uh, very hopeful. And, you know, you've shown that hope is with good reason because you can do so many more things than uh, you ever would have probably guessed uh, from some of the low points that um, that you hit approximately just six years ago. Um, with all of that being said, do you have do you have anything else that you want to um, communicate out to the listeners of this podcast uh, before we close here? Yeah, last but not least, I'm I'm sure the people who go to causewayliving.com will see this for themselves on the homepage. But if you are curious to go deeper and dive into the the habits and the lifestyle that I've developed over the last six months that have given me those really big results and uh, and even further step forward on my journey, um, they can check that out on sixweekshift.com. The online course is called Six Week Shift and basically teaches a simple high performance habit in each of the six pillars of health over six weeks. Keeps people accountable with a journaling practice each day and you get paired up with an accountability buddy in my Causeway Academy private Facebook group. And like the results I'm seeing already from it are awesome, not just personally, but other people have had trialing parts of it out. So I'm very excited to share that and uh, yeah, also appreciate the, the opportunity to share with your audience as well. Oh, well, that that's terrific. Uh, sixweekshift.com. Um, it sounds like, um, you know, you're tying together, you know, so many different aspects, everything from physical health to mental health, community. Um, you know, you've gained so much wisdom through through your healing journey and um, it's got to feel very gratifying to you to be able to uh, put that out there in a way that can help so many other people too. So I definitely encourage everybody to go uh, check out sixweekshift.com uh, to learn more from Scott. Um, Scott, I really appreciate you taking the time today. Um, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks again, Joe. Thank you for listening to You Cured What? Join us again soon for another story of healing.